You are listening to the Venture Scale SaaS Operator, the podcast where we interview founders who are actually in the trenches. We talk about the transparent journey of how they build their SaaS companies, how they grow them, and what they would do differently if they would do it all over. Hey, folks, with us today, Richard Purcell from Occurate. Super happy to have you. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. Awesome. I would love to start with the problem that Accurate is solving for its customers? Yeah, so I'll start with uh, what we see today in today's macro environment. So in a post 0% interest rate world, we're seeing that every company is hyper-focused on profitability, regardless of the size of the company or if you're B2B or B2C. Uh, we see the operators today are trying to focus on profitability as the North Star metric. But the challenge is that it takes months to measure profitability. So think of you are a e-commerce company and every day you're launching a new ad campaign, you're releasing a new promo, you're changing your landing page, you're developing a new product, and you have dozens of other initiatives that you're launching on a daily or a weekly basis. And brands can't wait months to know how any of these upstream brand experiences impacts downstream profitability because marketing decisions are made on a daily and weekly basis. And customer lifetime value, or LTV, is the closest metric to profitability, but LTV is a lagging indicator. And so, accurate, what we do is we turn, we, we turn um, LTV from a lagging indicator to a leading indicator, and we call this real-time LTV. And the same way that brands can look at clicks or conversions in real time, now they could look at LTV in real time. And brands use real-time LTV for two main use cases. The first is the ability to evaluate every offer, every channel, every audience, and every creative based on the day-to-day -day changes and predicted revenue, and then redistribute that spend to ads that are generating the best customers and those customers that spend more and stay longer. And then the second use case is the ability to use real-time LTV as the success criterion for A-B test. So every landing page, offer, product recommendation, and every email subject line is always tailored to the best customers. And uh, that's primarily the problem we solve and how we solve for it. Got it. And that is the typical company using that an e-commerce brand, or is there like people outside of e-commerce using that as well? Yeah, we find that um, this message resonates the most with B2C companies. But right now, our beachhead is e-commerce brands that generate over $50 million in revenue that are based in the US. And what we've learned is that it's not enough to just target a company. We really need to find an executive at that company who understands data and is emphatic about testing. And so this person also needs to have a track record of being a change maker. And so You know, once we find that strong champion at an e-commerce company that generates over $50 million in revenue, they immediately understand what we do. I would love to dig right into tactics here because we always try to keep like very on the ground. So how do you find that person? Because I mean, 50 million in revenue, I guess you have sources, you, you can find that out. Finding the person can, like finding an executive can also be done via LinkedIn. But then how do you know who's like the right person to target with that specific mindset? Um, well, I'll tell you a little bit about how we actually identify them, but then I think the harder part is how to get their attention. 
And so what we do is we build like a very detailed ideal customer profile. And so we look at, you know, uh, what schools they may have gone to. And we found that, you know, Wharton is actually uh, a school that produces a lot of these types of accurate champions. Uh, we've also found that these are people with um, perhaps came from academia or, you know, they worked at a really big brand and then moved to a smaller brand. Um, you know, they have a certain number of years of experience. Um, they're based in a certain city because we find that tier one cities like like New York or San Francisco actually attract more innovative change makers. And so once we have this very detailed criteria, one of the powerful things about LinkedIn Sales Navigator is that you could create all of these filters and create Boolean searches. Uh, and then you just kind of whittle down all those different results uh, to make sure they all match. And I think a secret weapon that uh, I have over the last few months is I found a, a virtual assistant from a company called Athena that works with full time. And she essentially is part researcher, part BDR, uh, part marketing coordinator, um, part sales ops. And so she uses, you know, uh, tools like Sales Navigator, but then also ChatGPT to really accelerate some of these campaigns that we have for us in terms of at least identifying the people that we want to reach out to. Uh, but then in terms of tactics of getting their attention is one of the key learnings that we found last year is that uh, we just scaled the wrong tactics. And initially, we found that we were able to you know, get a lot of meetings, even close our first customers with purely cold email. And so we we're like, great, you know, if we close six customers in six months with just cold email, let's scale this. But what we found is that there was a ceiling to the people uh, who really responded positively to cold email. But everyone else, or the majority of the market, prefers some kind of organic conversations. Uh, and so um, what we've been doing differently is just trying to find ways to create more organic conversations through like, you know, our networks, or we've, we've also been building what we call a, a brand ambassador program, where we find executives um, who are evangelical about what we do. And some of these people are like retired executives. Some of these people just work in, you know, tangential industries. And they have a network of people that match our ideal customer profile. And so we really lean on these brand ambassadors to really evangelize our product, make intros, you know, share various content that we share. Um, and so what we've really found is that, you know, having more organic conversations and really um, accelerating creativity with a combination of this virtual assistant at ChatGPT has allowed us to really think more creatively about our top of the funnel go to market functions and try out a lot of new things but do it in a much quicker way because we've gotten to be a very lean team and using the right tools. How do you incentivize those ambassadors? Um, so what we've done is we've broken out into three separate tiers. So the tier one are like the ultra, ultra um, you know, senior executives, really big networks, you know, tier two or maybe people who are like just VP level and tier three, maybe like director level or really like moved shakers. And then every single tier has a different incentive program. So the tier one, these are folks who are in it for the long term. And so these are folks that we incentivize with um, equity. You know, tier two, these are folks um, who uh, perhaps want a more short term game. So we just give them some kind of rev share. And then tier three are people who, you know, may only be able to make intros to people who are, you know, more junior at, at our company that we want to talk to, but we'll still take the meeting. And for those folks, we'll maybe give them some kind of cash incentive. That's super interesting because I, I rarely heard of that, that in enterprise salespeople go the ambassador route. So do you have a, without sharing too many details, 
what are like the rough numbers that you one needs to offer so that it becomes interesting because if you're a VP at a big company, you make yeah. quite a good salary. So like a 50, a 50 buck Amazon uh, coupon won't make it, I guess. Correct. So how do, yeah. how do you structure that to, to like, to make it sexy for them? Yeah. So for instance, for uh, someone who we, we consider tier three and you got to think what value do we put on a meeting that's booked and held? And so we are open to giving someone who's tier three, maybe between a 200 to a $500 Amazon gift card. Uh, for tier two, that rev share is between five and 10%, you know, once the deal closes and once they actually pay their invoice. Uh, and then tier one, um, this really depends. I mean, it's, it's usually somewhere, you know, I'll say it's less than, you know, 1% equity, but yes. it's, you know, yeah. somewhere between like, you know, 0.01% and 1% based on the so the typical and, advisor, so the typical advisor yeah. equity share roughly. Correct. Yeah. Got it. And then how do you uh, focusing on mostly on like the tier three and tier two? Because I think that's most achievable in terms of founders listening, being able to replicate it because it's like less of a marriage like you have with equity. How did you do you go about speak like do you find them via LinkedIn as well and then contact them? Or how how do you actually build that? Because that's kind of a sales funnel in itself. Yeah, exactly. Um so the same way that we would send a cold email to someone to book a meeting to sell them something, we're doing something very similar to turn someone into a brand ambassador. So, you know, you create a very detailed, ideal customer profile for this brand ambassador, you put those filters into LinkedIn Sales Navigator, you go through every single result, you know, you put them in a list. Um, and then the way we reach out is not so much that we're trying to sell to you, but basically, you know, stroking their ego a little bit about, you know, I've noticed XYZ in your background. Um, someone like you would probably really resonate with this value proposition. This is the problem that we're solving and make a really bold statement and just give them like one or two lines about how we solve it. And then say, you know, don't even say that we want to really turn you into brand ambassador, but you kind of want to make a soft sell and say, at the very least, would you spend 15 minutes giving us our product feedback with our CEO? Uh, and so, you know, the fact that you're saying, hey, we want to meet, we want you to meet our CEO. This also kind of strokes our ego about, you know, uh, we want you to meet with our most senior person at our company because you've done these really great things in your career. Um, so that's usually how it starts. And then we really ask them to opt in into uh, having another discussion to helping us further. So we'll say, hey, if you really believe in what we do, you know, would you be willing to at least make one or two intros? Um, and if those one or two intros go well, this gives both parties the confidence that we want to continue our conversation because there's no sense striking up paperwork and getting really detailed negotiations if, you know, that person doesn't really have a network that is appealing to us uh, or maybe that potential brand ambassador doesn't see that someone in their network finds what we do interesting. So that's usually how it starts where it's like, hey, we first want to get your product feedback and hey, do you want to join us in this journey? Hey, let's first um, get one intro in the books and if that goes well, let's see if we could turn you into a brand ambassador and get like official paperwork Quick, going. very tactical question. Yeah. Do you tell them, hey, we're having a brand ambassador program and the first step to get into it is like one or two intros or do you just ask for the intros and if they give them without knowing what comes later, you would then tell them, hey, by the way, we have the program and so on. Uh, we, we dangle the carrot definitely before we um, ask for something. So it's kind of like a give and a get. Yeah, yeah. 
I yeah. love that. I, I, I you, you got to think it, it's, it's kind of like a sale. So um, yeah. a lot of times buyers will ask for the price in the first call. And you don't want to quote them the exact price because you really don't know. But you give them a range. And you're saying, great. Well, we let's manage expectations about what that range is. And you know, between now and when we get to paperwork, we want to build a business case. So it makes sense for both parties to even continue talking to each other. If you need to hire the right developers and ship fast, then React Squad is for you. A boutique agency that specializes in React and only works with fast growth startups. Get a 14-day risk-free trial and a transparent price of $95 per hour. Visit reactsquad.io to learn more. Yeah, got it. I would love to double-click on ICPs, ideal customer profiles, because you mentioned them twice already. And I think a lot of companies, to be honest, early note included, isn't using them heavy, heavy enough, basically. So what's your process on finding out who that is? Because what you're telling me makes a ton of sense, but how did you actually find out that people from Wharton are specifically uh, great yeah. and, and all of that? So I think it's important to start by the way I think about product market fit. And I think about product market fit as not binary, but it's a spectrum and it's a continuum, meaning that um, sometimes you could have product market fit and sometimes you can't. Like maybe something changes the market or something changes in your product. Uh, also, I think about product market fit from like a one to 10 scale, where 10 on product market fit means that, you know, you um, 100% close rate, you sell your product at a premium, you have minimal investment in marketing, you have very low churn, and maybe one means the opposite of all those things. And so you have to look at certain leading indicators of getting to a strong product market fit. And some of those leading indicators I think about is things such as um, high email open rate, um, high positive response rate to your emails. Um, uh, you know, Do you get on a call with someone and they give you positive validation um, that this is a good idea? How many of those first calls turn into second calls? And so those are all the metrics that we're looking at to figure out if we're, on the, if we're on the right path. And so just using your Wharton example is that all the campaigns we were running, we were like, great. Well, uh, the campaigns we were, we were running where we're targeting uh, people who went to Wharton, they have a very high email open rate. Uh, it has the highest positive response rate. Um, you know, a large percentage of these first calls actually turn into sales opportunities. And I think even our first customers, I think maybe two or three of them came from that Wharton campaign. But again, closing that deal was still a lag indicator, but the leading part of it was still showing us positive reinforcement that we should double down on this campaign. I think the insight is amazing that you don't, didn't even need to the revenue to hit, but basically already saw, okay, in Wharton, we have like 55% open rate and somewhere else like 37 and taking that already. Yeah, I would love to switch well, gears. Oh, sorry, go ahead, well, go ahead. I think there's one more thing I want to note about this because I think you mentioned about you know how you find your first customers, but I think it's critical for founders <clears throat> to find a way to optimize on attracting or retaining the best customers from day one. And I think too many founders think about a growth at all costs, like, oh, we just need to generate as much revenue as possible or, or as many customers as possible. But I've just seen so many negative consequences of that because you could be acquiring a lot of customers that just churn really quickly. But then because you have a lot of customers who fit that profile, you're like building a product, you're essentially building the wrong product or 
you're hiring too many people because you've acquired a bunch of customers that ultimately churn really quickly or become a nightmare service. And I think a key learning that we had um, is, you know, this is why I said before that we learned that it's more about the executive of that company versus just the company, because a lot of our first customers looked like great companies on paper, you know, a high revenue, high growth, uh, really flashy products, but they didn't have a executive at that company that really understood data and was emphatic about testing. And so I think that's something else founders should consider is that it's like every company is going to be different, but you have to think about not just the company, but what are some other things that we should be looking at um, inside of that company or like adoption of the product that give us some signal this is going to be a high value customer because ultimately you want to scale your go-to-market to find more of those high value customers, not just any customer. So really looking at like the full picture, even like the, the soft signals in a way. Yeah. I mean, it's almost dogfooding our own product because we tell our clients to optimize their business on LTV and customers that will stay around for the long term. Right. And, you know, we're trying to do that with our go-to-market as well. Got it. And then switching gears from more of the product side and sales side to the company building side, you're a spin-off out of another company. And I would love for you to tell the story how this spin-off came to be and how the process of spinning out actually went down. Yeah. Uh, so Accurate, we were founded officially in August of 2021. But up until about you know, Q2 of 2020, we've still been working on this idea. And uh, when I first started working with Toby, uh, the CEO of Accurate, I started out as a contractor for a company called PredictWise. And PredictWise, uh, they were a company that was selling to progressive political campaigns. And they had built this database where it was privacy first. And uh, you know, they were collecting data with explicit consent. And they were using this database uh, to create lookalike audiences to better target uh, voters, like swing voters, and try to you know, get them to um, ultimately vote for progressive causes. And I had joined Toby at PredictWise at the time to figure out how do we turn this political business into a commercial enterprise? And um, one of the really astute things that Toby did is he decided to really break the company into two. And what I saw go wrong at a past company that tried to turn a uh, political business into a commercial business is they just kept the company all into one. And they said, okay, well, this part of the company is going to be political. This part of the company is going to be commercial. And it just didn't work because, you know, uh, it was hard to delegate resources. Um, you know, there was a conflicting culture between the commercial and the political. Uh, and so, you know, what we realized is that we needed to spin off another company called Accurate that was just purely focused on e-commerce brands. And, um, you know, one of the first customers of Accurate was actually PredictWise. And, you know, we were, you know, building custom models um, for PredictWise based for PredictWise. And so that's actually how we're able to really kick off the ground uh, bootstrap because we're just using revenue from PredictWise. Um, and so is that kind of the backstory you were looking for? Uh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And then by now, by now you also raise, so also feel free to share just like how you funded the, the business until now. Um, so like I said, we first started Bootstrap when we first were incorporated um, in August of 2021. 
And then in Q4 of 2021, we raised 3.5 million in seed. And how do you, so you, you wait, the race is still in 21, correct? Yeah. And around October of 2021. Yeah. yeah. Then I of course like don't know how, how you plan that fundraise, but a lot of companies who raise like end of 2021, beginning of 2022 are like, let's just say in a tough spot right now. So yeah. How do you navigate, uh, yeah, basically the tide that turned like 180 on funded startups. Yeah. Well, I want to give credit to uh, Toby as well as um, our CFO, Yossi, because one of Toby's many strengths is corporate governance and financial discipline. And then Yossi, you know, he has decades of experience uh, managing financials for software companies. And so we've been very diligent um, in our costs. And, you know, I gave an example before about right now how we're using a virtual assistant. And so this person is like a third of a cost of a BDR, but, you know, this person serves a lot of different purposes for us and still able to help us same time accelerate creativity. And so we've been, have to, we've been having to just uh, get extremely lean um, with all of our resources. And, you know, at the same time, we're still growing our customer base. And so this gives us enough cushion and runway um, that we feel confident that we could still think somewhat long-term. <clears throat> and then we also have the confidence of our existing investors. Um, so that's how I would think about, um, you know, how we're thinking about our finances moving forward. Yeah. And I think the service you mentioned was Athena. Was that correct? Yeah. The Athena. virtual assistant. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, are there any other, um, yeah, basically like parts of the business where you also use outsourcing or there's just like freelancers? to come in to be more flexible and, and save a bit, bit of like that yeah. huge uh, payroll cost? That's definitely a hack that we've done over the last few months is, you know, we brought on a contract designer um, based in Dubai. So that was also um, a way to still accelerate creativity at lower cost. At one point, we also used a contractor for um, content marketing. Um, so right now, I am the sole like full-time sales and marketing person, uh, but everyone else that kind of supports me is a contractor. Interesting. So you basically coordinate the, the, the team completely, and but you have the flexibility of them being contractors in a way. Yeah, I think also when you look at um, the current state of the market for prospecting, you have saturated channels, you have a slowing economy, and then you have the rise of AI. And all of this is just creating so much noise. And it's just so hard to cut through the noise. And it's not only our business, but I've been talking to other sales leaders of other SaaS companies, and their top of the funnel motion is just not working like it used to. And what I have found is that operators and um, sales and marketing leaders need to just throw out last year's playbook and just start completely new and think creatively about how to drive top of the funnel. And this is why I'm so excited about using a combination of this virtual assistant to chat GPT, because um, you know you should see this list. We have this like go-to-market experimentation spreadsheet. It probably has at least 30 different experiments on it. And then we prioritize it you know, on one, two, or three about what we want to start first. And then we have certain ways that we measure each campaign, but you know, we're able to run two or three experiments at a time and then quickly figure out if this is something we want to scale because we've gotten so lean and we are just very diligent in the metrics that we track for every experiment. 
then do you basically just like keep 80% of your input into like the experiments that are proven to work in 20% in you? Or how do you actually do the experimentation? Um, so we measure every experiment on things such as um, like sales qualified leads, SQL. So how many um, meetings were booked in health in this campaign? But then we also look at other like leading indicators leading up to that meeting, such as positive replies. Um, and then another example would be if we're running a LinkedIn campaign, we don't really care so much about vanity metrics around like reactions or comments, but we say, okay, well, what percentage of those comments or reactions are coming from our ICP? So for us, that's a bigger indicator that, you know, something like a LinkedIn post is actually working is not just if we have a bunch of likes, but how many of those likes are coming from our ICP? And then another thing that we do is we ask our virtual assistant to research all the people who liked or commented on that LinkedIn post. And if they match your ICP, we just find a way to reach out to them, um, you know, via email or LinkedIn or Twitter and try to have a more organic conversation because we use that reaction that they gave on our LinkedIn post as showing some kind of buyer intent. So that's just one example about how we have a experiment and how we're testing it and then how we're turning you know, some of those, um, you know, vanity metrics of an experiment into, into, uh, like into meetings. So really basically going to the, the drawing board, being creative and not just running like the same playbook you did for the last three years. Exactly. I, I love that. And then be, before we wrap up, what's the, yeah, basically like the, the big vision for, for the company. Uh, the big vision is to make lifetime value LTV the organizing principle for all consumer brands. And that would be then mostly e-commerce or, or really like across the board? Well, e-commerce is definitely our beachhead, but I think all consumer brands could benefit from organizing their company around LTV. And I think the broken promise about LTV is that it was hard to find a way to take action on LTV or really operationalize it. And so we believe that with real-time LTV, uh, it makes um, lifetime value operational. And so for every function of the business, you can look at your experiments or look at the way you run your department, you know, based on um, how it moves up, how it moves up or down the needle around LTV and give you a greater insight into not only predicting LTV, but understanding the why behind it and understand you know, what are you doing in your business that really moves up or down a needle? So then you could act accordingly. So ultimately, you're always up and to the right of LTV because ultimately, um, if you organize your business around LTV, you're just building a better business. I think those are perfect parting words, Richard. Was a fu fun chat. Thanks for coming on. All right. Glad to be here. Thank you. If you like this episode, then you'll love the SaaS Operator, a weekly newsletter brought to you by Early Node. With actionable insights from SaaS experts in the industry, delivered right to your inbox every Tuesday for free. Visit earlynode.com to subscribe.